The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Wall Street recovery. The Dow jumps 300 points to break a five-day losing streak as U.S. stocks rebound from the worst day of 2019. It's a mixed picture. However, in Asia, China sets its yuan fix at a slightly weaker level than expected, while the Trump team plays down fears of a drawn-out trade war. In the course of his tweets and his conversations with the trade team, He would like to continue negotiations. Uh, He would like to make a deal. It has to be the right deal for the United States. New Zealand's central bank shocks with a half-point rate cut, sending the Kiwi dollar to a a three-and-a-half-year low versus the greenback. Disney shares drop in extended trade as the integration of Fox assets hits third-quarter profit despite a string of global box office hits. I am uh, scrutinising the screen here, poring over the numbers coming out of Commerce Bank. So let's get into these. Uh, net profit of $391 million in the first half of 2019. The uh, group are delivering then uh, what they expect to be a slight year-on-year increase in consolidated net income for full year 2019, they are expecting higher underlying revenues than in previous years. So, so far so encouraging for a bank that we know has had its challenges and this as the markets are not that optimistic about a rebound for many of the key metrics for the banking sector like net interest margin given how the uh, central banks at the moment are behaving. Um, a net 232,000 new private customers gained in Germany in the first half. Assets under control up by 32 billion euro to 413 billion. Uh, the bank also trumpeting 11,400 corporate clients gained since 2016. The uh, underlying revenues down overall, though, year on year at 4.3 billion. The first half was uh, 4.4 billion. The uh, um, implications of that we will get into in just a moment with Germana, who is in Frankfurt. Lower operating profit of 542 million against the 2018 number of 689. The uh, NPL ratio um, fine 0.8%. 0.9 was the number for the first half, so largely flat against that number. Risk result mainly due to single cases in the second quarter and lower right backs of provisions in the first half at minus 256 million. The 2018 number for the first half, 160 million. CT1 ratio at 12.9%. Absolutely fine there, there or thereabouts, that um, uh, key uh, 13% number. Um, In terms of the aspirations targeting a common equity tier one ratio of at least 12.75% by the end of 2019, and they say that all important cost base should remain below 6.8 billion euros in 2019, 
although there is a drag from uh, what they describe as the risk result expected to be at least 550 million euros going forward. You look interested, Karen. Should we get you in before we go to Germany? I think it's a fascinating result because obviously there was a move to try and consolidate Commerce Bank with Deutsche Bank and when that didn't happen we saw a huge uh, change to try and turn on the fortunes of Deutsche Bank which then puts the spotlight on Commerce Bank today to say just how well is the bank doing and I think they've got uh, extremely strong program to turn around the business. However, cited in the report a number of challenges and corporate clients being one of them plus uh, the global backdrop as we keep talking about central banks moving even further down the path of more stimulus and that was very much flagged up by Zelka in the, the numbers today. So the question is what comes next if the ECB does continue to move with uh, further stimulus? Is that going to hurt Commerce Bank and its fortunes? Um, so a number of interesting ratios in here that show some sign of improvement. There is ambition. We expect a slight year-on-year increase in consolidated net income for 2019. Uh, full year. Jamana, what do you think of the figures as you're seeing them at this point? Are they keeping a lid on the costs whilst also encouraging some German animal spirits to run free? I think that's the big question. But, you know, picking up on both of your comments, you and Karen, I think those are the main two things that you want to watch out for today. One is what's happening with the underlying business and two, looking forward whether or not there's a potential for inorganic growth, so to speak. So the possibility of a merger with another bank. So let's just start with the first point, which is their underlying business. And at the end of the day, the big question is not whether or not they are managing to contain costs or continue with their cost cutting path, but whether or not they are growing revenue faster than they are cutting costs. So you're looking for a positive jaws here. And that is the big question that underpins all of the banking system in Europe. It's not just about their cost cutting. And remember, in the last quarter, they reaffirmed their cost cutting targets for 2019. It seems like they're pretty much on track with those savings and those efficiency savings that they're introducing via digitization and layoffs and streamlining the business. But for me, the thing that really stuck out today was that the fact that the revenue for the first half of the year, actually, if I heard correctly, Jeff is lower uh, for the first half of 2019 than for what it was in 2018. So that's not really a promising development. Now, if you look at the underlying business of Commerce Bank today, they've got two different lines. They've got their corporate banking business and they've got their private and small business uh, side of the business as well. In Q1, what we heard from the corporate side is actually lending activity was up. Very interesting. And on the private and small business side, they talked about higher net interest margins. Now, fast forward to today. Look at the macro climate in Germany. We're talking about manufacturing declines, services uh, dipping as well. Uh, Things are not looking so rosy when you think about the macro outlook to the future. So in addition to that, you have the prospect of a lower interest rate environment. Commerce Bank is a bank that is very, very geared to low interest rates. So if the ECB do start cutting, then this is one of the banks that would be very exposed from that perspective. So I suspect that from a lending uh, angle, as well as a net interest margin angle, uh, there is a few question marks about uh, whether or not they they can sustain that activity going forward. Second point about inorganic growth. Now, we know the last earnings season, there was lots of talk about the possibility of a tie-up with Deutsche. Nothing came out of, out of that. We know that afterwards, there were subsequent reports of talks with Unicredit and ING. Again, there doesn't seem to be a lot going on in that space, but certainly investors are asking and, and sort of hovering around this bank saying, look, it's valued very, very attractively. It would give us some exposure to the German market. Question is whether or not there could be sign-off from Commerce Bank management themselves and also 
also from other banks that looking to get involved in the German markets outside Germany. Questions that I will be posing to the CFO, Mr. Engels, in a couple of hours' time. Terrific. Jemima, thank you very much indeed for that. And as we uh, wrap up on this, let's just give you the ROTE number. The operating return on equity, 4.1%. And I think Jemima very well described exactly what the challenge is there, because quite frankly, 4.1% is not good enough for a bank at this point in the cycle. Well, let's go to what is called a a pan-European winner today, a title for Unicredit as its numbers cross, but it doesn't look like a pan-European winner if you consider some of the takeaway messages uh, from what's just crossed, and the big one being a downgrade to the revenue guidance for 2019 has cut those numbers. The overall prints on adjusted net profit for the 2019 numbers also uh, seem to be missing. You've got net profit... uh, of 1 billion euros, that is up 0.4% year on year. QT net profit to 1.9 billion euros versus 2.13 billion seen in consensus. So the numbers are underwhelming on the second quarter net profit. The 2019 revenue guidance, uh, just how much it's been lowered from 19 billion to 18.7 billion euros. That's a new number it is telling investors to expect. The CET1 ratio is at 12.08% at the end of June versus 12.25% at the end of March. So that's come down, but still in the range of its peers. Its cost targets have been confirmed for the full year around 10.1 billion euros. The other lines, though, where the company has missed on the second quarter net interest income at 2.55 billion versus the 2.58 billion seen. Also on net fees, slightly underwhelming, 1.57 billion versus the 1.58 billion that was tipped. So on a number of these different metrics, the company has underwhelmed. And I'll just give you a line two on write-downs as uh, investors watch for that second quarter net loan write-downs at 707 million euros versus 627 million euros uh, in an average consensus poll. So the lender, the Italian lender today, not exactly putting out a strong set of numbers. And don't forget, this was one of the banks that was, was seen as a consolidator of uh, potentially even a German lender. So it, uh, it does tell us more about that backdrop that we're hearing from a number of other lenders, that it is a difficult ch- and challenging one to navigate. Uh, you, you've got to love the chutzpah, though. Um, as you say, there are some challenging figures in here, but the press release... Uh, starts with the title Unicredit, a pan-European winner. Mean, incredible, isn't it? The description. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, let's face it, there are some some uh, positives in here. As the, you know, we talked about the ROTE coming out of Commerce Bank at um, a little over four percent here. At least they've delivered something that is closer to nine percent on an adjusted group level. So they are heading in the right direction when we do that comparison cross-border with other. In Europe. And the stock is actually positive for the year. It's up about 3.8%. And we were just talking about Commerce Bank. I mean, that stock has been down 1.3%, even with consolidation talk in the backdrop. So uh, maybe, maybe winning from that perspective. Meantime, uh, let me take you to some of the action stateside on markets that investors have been watching very closely in uh, previous sessions after the roller coaster ride that we've endured. What we've got now, positive numbers for the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq snapping those losing streaks. It was six straight days of losses for the S&P and Nasdaq finally getting some green back on the boards and the Dow breaking its five-day losing streak. So the polls 
some numbers that you're seeing for the likes of the Dow. What contributed? Goldman Sachs won the big banks and Home Depot. Some of the big movers to the upside and a couple of the tech names when it comes to uh, the S&P and the Nasdaq. Uh, Microsoft and Apple, real contributors on that front. Uh, what we've got, investors responding to some of the rhetoric and there's been an intervention by some of the banks in China. The PBOC, for one, taking steps to stabilise the yuan on Tuesday with the firmer than expected fixing and a bond sale. So that signalled that perhaps there is a willingness by some of the authorities to just stop the market sell-off that's taken place and some of the heightened fear. Also comments from the White House. Larry Kudlow effectively is trying to soothe sentiments, saying that the administration wants to continue trade talks with China and it plans to host a Chinese delegation in September. Those comments stemming some of the market fear that has gathered around whether we are now seeing an escalation in the trade war after fresh tariffs uh, from Trump as well. So the market just getting that green back on the boards. US technology, I mentioned uh, one of the components where with Microsoft and Apple, you could see those stocks, uh, firm and Microsoft, 1.8%. Uh, market leader there along with Apple, but Twitter showing a gain of more than 2%, also part of the gainers as well. US financials, uh, this is uh, how it played out in the session. 1.7% on Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley also firmer, but uh, as I mentioned, Goldman Sachs, a fairly huge contributor to the Dow. Treasuries, uh, very much a safe haven flow from gold to treasuries, and we've seen a move in a number of the, the fives, and the twos, the thirties. There's been a, a move lower as investors anticipate that there might be more action from the Fed. You've got uh, the spread also between the 10-year and the three-month T-bills at its lowest level since 2007. But when it comes to uh, some of these other levels, the fives, the sevens and the 30, all fresh lows right back to at least November 2016. The dollar, uh, let's take a quick check on uh, how it is faring this morning. There's been fairly strong moves on foreign exchange markets, uh, in particular around the Kiwi dollar, where you've seen a 50 basis point rate reduction from the RBNZ. That has caused uh, a casualty on markets on foreign exchange, being the Kiwi dollar. It is travelling 2% south versus the dollar. The dollar is on the back foot versus the safe haven Japanese yen, but uh, early gains in the euro, which is trying to march a little bit high. 112 with the handle, 121.66 roughly on sterling dollar. The safe havens elsewhere, gold prices, uh, which have Travelled to a six-year highs, 14.84 on the boards. Another bounce this morning of seven tenths of a percent. In uh, contrast to some of the gains we've seen on markets, energy prices have been a real casualty moving south. We saw on Wall Street yesterday many parts of the market uh, picking up and just a little bit more support, but not so when it comes to energy, where we've travelled lower. One of the sectors that has suffered as investors uh, debate whether there will be a slowdown in global trade that impacts the oil price. Jeff. Karen, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, a lot of analysts' uh, reports crossing the desk uh, over the last 24 hours, as you can imagine. An awful lot of people looking for bottoms. I don't know whether the data is going to help at all today, but on the economic front, German industrial output front and centre. Reuters is forecasting the June read will fall by 0.4%, the latest in an escalating series of weak data from Europe's largest economy. HFE estimates uh, if the industrial data does contract, there is a 60% chance second quarter GDP will also fall. We're going to talk uh, supermarkets and the business of making money in the uh, grocery trade with uh, industrial action hurting quarterly profits at Ahold Del Hayes. CFO Jeff Carr will be up. 
And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. Meantime, a quick check of opening calls, all perched a fraction lower. Only small percentage of clients at this stage, but it is in contrast to the green we're seeing splashing up elsewhere in today's session. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshou, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back, everybody, to Poetry Corner here on Squawk Box. As we watch this beautiful sunrise come up over London, and we gave you the words yesterday of Samuel Johnson about London. How about a little bit of William Blake that comes to mind this hour? I wander through each chartered street near where the chartered Thames does flow, and marking every face I meet, marks of weakness, marks of woe. Welcome to London, everybody. This is Squawk Box. You don't get that on Instagram, do you? You certainly don't, or any other business channel you may care to dip into by mistake. <laughs> Let's take you back to some exciting numbers. Ahal Delhaes has reported quarterly net sales in line with expectations but missed profit forecasts. The Dutch retail group said second quarter results were dented by the strike at its US stop and shop chain, but that the industrial action would not spill over into second half results. Let's get into the detail with Jeff Carr, the CFO of Ahal Delhaes. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on board. Let me ask you about the strike action and why you do think that you may be able to, to run the ruler over that and that it may actually be upwards from here if you can get past the, the strike impact. Well, Karen, the strike uh, lasted 11 days in April, and it's it's been an unusual event for us. If you look at the history over the last 30 years, we've had a really good relationship with our associates. So we do see that as a bit of a one-off event. If you look past the strike into the numbers, uh, it was actually a pretty good performance. We saw um, sales at $16.3 billion, up 5% in actual terms, 1.5% in constant exchange rates. And if you factor out the strike, uh, we see profit continue to grow. And so we look at the second half of the year with some optimism. It's still a tough environment, both in the U.S. and Europe for food retailers. Uh, but we have market leading positions and we look at the second half of the year with some optimism that we can uh, put the strike behind us and continue our trajectory of uh, good top-line growth and good margin delivery. Jeff, I just want to get into the backdrop a little bit further because it's been a roller coaster ride on markets in, in recent sessions as investors fear that there is a trade war that's being waged, it's escalating, and perhaps the Fed might be moving to cut more. What impact has the Fed rate cut had so far and would another reduction make any difference to your business? Uh, it doesn't have a huge impact on our business. Obviously, um, the food industry tends to be a bit more stable uh, we still see the U.S. consumer uh, spending money. Um, we still see a relatively uh, positive outlook in the U.S. market. 
Um, and obviously, um, the tariffs, we, we're a food retailer, so the tariffs from uh, the Chinese uh, dispute with the U.S., uh, we don't see a big impact of, of that either. So all in all, um, I look at the second half of the year in the U.S. with uh, a reasonable, stable outlook relative to the first half of the year. Um, Jeff, we're increasingly looking at Europe as uh, a more troubled economic story at the moment, and yet you seem to be delivering um, in the Netherlands. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the resilience of the market? Well, yeah, I think the Dutch market, we read about, uh, you just mentioned the woes in Germany, but the Dutch market remains, the Dutch consumer remains uh, pretty resilient. We saw uh, a fantastic performance of our ball.com, our online business, uh, up 37.5% in the quarter. Uh, overall, our Dutch business grew 4.2% uh, in the quarter. So we saw a good performance also from the Albertine supermarket business. Um, so I'd say our, our Dutch businesses, ball.com and Albertine, remain they're the two strongest brands in the, in the Dutch retail market. And they remain, uh, they're both market leaders and they remain in good shape. You're comfortable with the, the growth in the online sales channel at this point? I know that's been something that the management team's been working very hard to improve on, particularly in the U.S. Are you where you want to be at this stage? Yes, we are. We, 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 the, you're right to say that we've focused on U.S. sales growth, online sales growth. Um, we have a large U.S. Uh, historically, we've, we've been doing online sales in food for, for quite a few years. So we have quite a mature business compared to some of our competitors who are just starting up their food online business. We saw, adjusted for the strike, we saw 18% growth uh, in the second quarter. We've said that we'll deliver over 20% growth uh, for, the, for the year 2019 and 30% growth uh, in 2020. In the U.S., the food online market is still quite immature. Uh, we're growing with the market. And uh, we see that we will, you know, it's clear that we need to maintain our fair share of that growth as the market grows with food online in the U.S. Jeff, do you want to just give us a sense about what your strategy is around further acquisitions at this stage, given all the activity in recent years? No, we've been clear that uh, we have a strong balance sheet, uh, one of the strongest in food uh, retail. We, uh, we consider the potential to consolidate in the food retail market as one of our growth channels. Um, obviously, we can't talk about specifics, but um, if you look at the east coast of the U.S., it's still a highly fragmented market, and there are real opportunities uh, to strengthen our brand positions down the east coast uh, through M&A uh, to consolidate our number one and number two leading positions in that market. Uh, so that's an example where we will continue to use the strength of our balance sheet uh, to be a consolidator in that market to continue to drive growth and leverage our cost base and our expertise. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us today. Jeff Carr, the CFO of Ahod Delhaize, with us uh, talking us through earnings and also about uh, potential for further activity. Oh, yeah, that sounds very exciting. Mm. Obviously, there's something in the works there and they are that having a conversation. Like but bringing in number out of him at this hour, I suspect, would have been quite difficult. Yeah, so having a chat of last week or so about just some of the opportunities uh, in the U.S. market and does feel as though there is still a lot of pain in that U.S. retail segment.
not quite like we're seeing here in the UK, where there's almost a tail of woe across the high street. Yeah. But uh, the US market certainly uh, in deal making mode. Yeah, uh, Barney's. Wow, what a story! Did you see that one over the night? Um, let's move on. We need to talk about the yuan. Uh, the Chinese currency is trading weaker against the dollar, still off record lows in the offshore market. But China's central bank fixed the currency just below the psychologically important seven mark, which was close to expectations. President Trump playing down the impact of a trade war with China on the domestic economy in the US. He tweeted, quote, massive amounts of money from China and other parts of the world is pouring into the United States. The president also promised to stand with American farmers after Beijing suspended purchases of US agricultural products. Well, speaking to CNBC, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow said the Trump administration wants to continue negotiations with China. The president said many times that he's willing to negotiate. We're still planning on the Chinese coming over here uh, in September. I mean, this latest round, the president was, was not happy with the progress uh, when uh, Secretary Mnuchin and Ambassador Lighthizer went over to Shanghai. So he wasn't happy. Uh, there were no ag purchases, as you know. In the course of his tweets and his conversations with the trade team, he would like to continue negotiations. Uh, he would like to make a deal. It has to be the right deal for the United States. Meanwhile, Beijing has hit back at Washington's currency manipulator label, calling a projectionist behavior. Uh, China pointed to the IMF, which has said it believes the yuan is in line with fundamentals. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.